we're going to again do discussion this evening to help keep you awake. It didn't work perfectly last week, had a couple not off, but maybe uh, we can keep you uh, entertained, I mean engaged. We're not here to entertain, we're here to learn what it means to follow Jesus. And we're trying to learn that through the book of Revelation. Before we read our text, we're going to be in uh, Revelation, uh, let's just go 13 through 20 tonight. Just kidding. Uh, 13 and 14. Um, before we dive into that, what have you heard about the mark of the beast? I'd like to hear from you. What are some stories and things you've read, things on the news, ideas you were taught about it as a kid? The mark of the beast is a famous idea. Um, what have you heard about it? Because that's where we're at in the book of Revelation this evening. Um, it's, it's my understanding that it was um, like a, a, a number assigned to a person that you had to choose to accept. And that's how you um, like paid for things, I guess. Um, I guess it was a form of currency or I'm not really sure how it worked, but that's what I was told. Yeah. You have to get it on your right hand or your forehead. Your right hand or your forehead. Yep. Good. Any others? Things that have been uh, thought that they could possibly be the mark of the beast in our world? Wasn't it something to do with red hats with ends on them? Was that one of them? <laughs> yeah, it's a Nebraska hat is exactly. It's the mark of the beast, Donnie. <laughs> Throw the bones, baby. Throw the bones. <laughs> That's perfect. The chip that they keep talking about in the vaccine right now is what I always think is the mark of the beast. Yep. There's a, supposedly a chip in a vaccine or a chip in a credit card or credit cards in general. Social security numbers were considered to be the mark of the beast when they became mainline. Um, barcodes. <laughs> According to what I read on Facebook, I better be careful or I might accidentally get the mark of the beast on me or something like that. Yeah, you can just catch it like the coronavirus. Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. It is, it is yeah. Um, I was reading this week, barcodes came out in like 1972 and it's numbers and lines and you have to use them to buy and sell. And so people thought that was the mark of the beast. And uh, there's all kinds of ideas um, around the mark of the beast and who's going to require us to get it and what that would look like. Um, there's, you know, the left behind books all have things to say about this. And uh, if you're really old movies like the late great planet earth or um, a thief in the night, um, all trying to interpret what Revelation's saying and in, in order to predict the future. Uh, I will remind us that that is not the purpose of Revelation. Uh, there is future stuff. It says things like Jesus is coming back, and we believe that's true. But Revelation was written to the first century church. And if it's written to the first century church about credit cards in 2020 in North America, then it does no good to them, none whatsoever. Uh, Revelation is not about predicting what things will happen before Jesus comes back. Um, it's about being faithful to Jesus in the midst of trying and hard times. 
And so they would have understood this mark of the beast. I had a message uh, this week from a, a woman in our last church who uh, read a thing that wearing a mask like Donnie and Cheryl are doing is the new mark of the beast and that it's Satan silencing us. And uh, I let her know that she should join us tonight, but um, that she was, be that, that's not the mark of the beast. Um, that's a mark of respecting your neighbor, trying to keep your germs off them. Um, but I have some strong opinions, but there are some facts in here that will help us understand it. So let's read uh, Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to start with the, because the chapters and verse numbers were not original to the scriptures. The scribe, John didn't write down, okay, now chapter 13. So chapter 12, verse 18 is a part of this text here. It's weird that it got numbered this way. I think they were just giving up when they got to the book of Revelation. They were just like, whatever, number it, whatever you want. So then the dragon, do you remember the dragon? Last week we had the dragon with seven heads, tried to eat the baby who represented Jesus, the Christmas story. The dragon is Satan. Then the dragon stood on the seashore and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads. Each of its horns was decorated with a royal crown, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave it his power, throne, and a great authority. One of the heads appeared to have been slain and killed, but its deadly wound was healed. So the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast." They worshiped the dragon because it had given the beast its authority. They worshiped the beast and said, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth that spoke boastful and blasphemous things. It was given authority to act for 42 months. It opened its mouth to speak blasphemies against God. It blasphemed God's name and his dwelling place. That is those who dwell in heaven. It was also allowed to make war on the saints and to gain victory over them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All who live on earth worshipped it, all whose names hadn't been written from the time the earth was made in the scroll of life of the Lamb who was slain. Whoever has ears must listen. If there are any to be taken captive, then into captivity they will go. And if any are to be killed by the sword, then by the sword they will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up from the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it was speaking like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. It also makes the earth and those who live in it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. It does great signs so that it even makes fire come down from heaven to earth in the presence of people. It deceives those who live on earth by the signs that it has, was allowed to do in the presence of the beast. It told those who live on earth to make an image for the beast who had been wounded by the sword and yet came to life again. It was allowed to give breath to the beast's image so that the beast's image would even speak and cause anyone who didn't worship the beast's image to be put to death. It forces everyone, the small and great, the rich and poor, the free and slaves, to have a mark put on their right hand and on their forehead. It will not allow anyone to make a purchase or sell anything unless the person has the mark with the beast's name or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who understands calculate the beast's number for it's a human being's number. The number is 666. 
This is the word of the Lord. We will stop there for the moment. What in the world is going on there? Anything jump out to anyone? Questions? Yeah, did you say that the dragon was the devil or the beast was the devil? The dragon is the devil. So the dragon is the devil that appears in chapter 12. Um, there's a woman who's going to give birth and the dragon appears to try and devour. And then the dragon gets into a battle with Michael and the angels is kicked out of heaven to earth and now is tormenting the children of the woman that is the church. And so Satan's on the prowl on earth has been defeated in heaven already, but is still making life miserable for the people of God. And now this dragon, Satan, the accuser, has two beasts come up, one from the sea and one from the land, that work on his behalf. And they mimic each other. The, they both, the dragon has seven heads, the, the beast has seven heads. So they, they're grotesque and look alike. Any questions, comments? We got it all figured out. We're good to go. Pray and play. Pray our blessing and eat dinner. There's some weird stuff here, right? This is weird. And one of the things we have to understand when we're reading Revelation is it's apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic and was a, is, is and was a genre of writing that was meant to be big and bold. And and we're, call, we're calling the beast this this seven-headed thing. It's meant to be, again, like a political cartoon. It's, it's big imagery and bold imagery and provocative language meant to evoke a response. But we also need to remember that the first century church was meant to understand this. Way back at the beginning of Revelation, John says, blessed are the ones who hear and understand and do what this book says. And so they would have understood it maybe more in their context than we have. I think one of the problems we have is we're removed, so far removed from their context where they were under the oppressive rule of the Romans, where they had little freedom. They didn't have rights. They didn't have power. And so they're seeing this from the underside of the empire. Uh, we see it in a completely different light. And so many of us, if you grew up in conservative Christianity, um, have been taught to read this as some predicting some kind of future thing, and we're looking for someone to be this beast. Um, oftentimes, this is a, uh, attributed to the Antichrist. This first beast is the Antichrist. Um, but again, that word does not appear in the book of Revelation. Um, but people are worshiping this beast. It has power and it has a throne. It has great authority over all the people of the earth. Does anyone have a guess? as to who this beast might represent. If it's not predicting the future, if there's not some beast that's gonna show up in the year 2020, if it's not Bill Gates, who might this beast represent? Anybody got a guess? It was probably whoever their um, leader was at the time. Like, well, I don't wanna say Caesar, cause I feel like that was before, but that, you know what Caesar. I mean? Cause like, that would be their whole world as they knew it. Yes. No, that is exactly right. Um, the beast is probably, re they read this as the beast is the Roman Empire, in particular, the Caesar. They, they have 
multiple Caesars. That was the title. Um, so we had Julius Caesar and we had Caesar Augustus and we had Nero Caesar. And most scholars think when this was written, uh, there was a, a Caesar named Domitian and he was, he was the emperor and he was not as bad as some had been, but he was still a part of this beastly empire that worshiped false gods, that persecuted people that would not bow to Caesar, um, that uh, brought peace by the sword, that their, the kingdom of Rome looked opposite of the kingdom of God. And so it's ugly and it has multiple heads and it works with the dragon. And here we have this, this unholy trinity. Rather than father, son, and spirit, we have dragon, beast, and beast. And they work um, to undo and bring destruction and bring chaos where God works to bring wholeness and peace and create life. And, and there are these two competing claims. This first beast, most of the books I've read, is meant to be a mockery of the, the Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Um, the lamb looks innocent and vulnerable. And here we have this big beast with multiple heads and and screaming blasphemous names and and the lamb has one name written on him and has um his has been slain but that's what makes him worthy here it's the power of the beast that makes people afraid of him and so that's what would have happened in the roman empire they would have had you're afraid of the caesar um and so that's probably what it meant it probably was is referring to the roman empire he's calling them beasts if we remember the, the the letters to the churches are all about being faithful. Don't give in to the culture around you. And now here we're calling this culture, it's a beastly culture. It's not just that it's not good for you. It's that it works for Satan. And if it oppresses you, if it, um, if it persecutes the church, it's because its power comes from the great dragon, Satan himself. Um, the idea of it having multiple heads, some people think that those each would have represented different um, Caesars along the way. We'll, you know, a couple chapters we'll get to that talks about some have gone, some have, are coming, some for a short time, one is now, and it's all kind of some word games. Um, but the one who has a head wound that appears to be uh, mortal but is healed um, a lot of people think that it's referring to Nero. Nero was notorious for persecuting the church. And Nero uh, was Caesar about 25 years before the book of Revelation was written. And he was, he was absolutely out of his mind. He was a, a, just, he is a mess. Uh, and he committed suicide, but there were rumors that he faked his death and would come back from the dead. And so a lot of scholars think that maybe that's the one who was, who was, the head that was wounded. Um, and so anyway. So why was, he allowed, why was he allowed the 42 months? Yes. Good question, Donnie. Did anybody re recognize that number, the 42 months? Anyone? Anyone? Is it three and a half years? The three and a half years, that's how long the witnesses were given to prophesy. That's how long the dragon is chasing the children of the woman uh, through the desert. It's, again, meant to be a temporary time rather than a full time. And so Revelation's not chronological. We've talked about that. This same uh, 30, 42 months is happening 
um, Nat with the beast, just as it was with the dragon. The dragon's given 42 months, and a part of that 42 months, the beasts are a part of that. And so it's probably meant to convey that the persecution from the beast and from the dragon is temporary. It's short, even though it feels long, three and a half years. Is, it feels long. We've been in quarantine for about three and a half years, I think. Um, it's actually temporary. The wilderness is not forever, is, is how most of the scholars I've been reading are interpreting it rather than a literal. There are some people that believe there's going to be a literal three and a half year period where there's going to be a person. I just don't think that's what Revelation is saying specifically. Um, the idea of the beast looking like a leopard and a bear and a lion, all those are images from the book of Daniel. Daniel wrote about four evil kingdoms. And so here, all those kingdoms are manifest in one beast. So people that were, their scripture was the Hebrew scripture. They knew it inside and out. This would have all been like, oh yeah, this makes sense to us. So what would have the, the mark of the beast been as related to the first century church what yes what would have this tattoo this well i assume tattoo the mark anyone who has a tattoo that. has it has the mark sorry donna you're out again um <laughs> yeah so there's so let's before i get there let's go to the fact there's two beasts there's the one who's probably the emperor or the empire and then this other one who convinces the world to worship the first beast Verse 13 says, it exercises authority in the first beast presence and makes the earth and those who live in it worship the first beast. And most of the scholars I've been reading are saying that this is the, the religion of Rome. This is the emperor's cult and that people actually believed that the emperors were divine. They were sons of God and that they um, were holy and should be worshiped and revered. And, and so there was an entire cult and they built temples to them and had pagan rituals and sacrifices and all kinds of ungodly things that happened in order to worship this emperor. And so here it's probably that the, the beast, it's ugly, it's um, persuasive, it's the cult of Rome that is uh, this second beast who's deceiving the earth, the signs and wonders using magic and, and parlor tricks the same way that um, Moses, when Moses is before Pharaoh, Pharaoh's magicians are able to replicate some of the same things Moses does that's happening here. And then this forces everyone to get the mark of the beast um, on their right hand or their forehead. Does anybody recognize the language right hand and forehead from anywhere else in scripture? Is that where the Jewish people put their scriptures? They're little, I don't remember what they're called. Yes. Uh, in Deuteronomy, in the Shema, they're instructed to bind up the law and put it on their forehead or their right hand. And if you ever see an Orthodox Jewish person today, they have, I'm going to botch the word, I think it's a phylactery tied on their forehead or tied on their hand. Because it's meant to be, the scripture is always with me. It's on my mind. It's in my hand. And they take it quite literally. We would interpret it a little bit more spiritually that it's, it's in us. It's with us at all times. So here we have a beast who's a parody, a mockery of Christ, who is now marking people the same way that the people of God have been marked. Um, and you can't buy or sell. One of the 
ideas. One, and I'll tell you, this is, this is my opinion. I reserve the right to be wrong. Um, so if I lead you astray and, and you take the mark, you can blame me and I'll, I'll take your punishment. Um, but one of the things they would do is when you went to the marketplace, they would have shrines to the Caesar. And you would go in and you would burn incense on behalf and honor of the Caesar, thanking the Caesar for giving you all these great gifts. Thanks for making us powerful. And thanks for the nice roads we have in this great marketplace. Thank you, Caesar, for the job I have. And you would burn incense and then you would rub the ash on your forehead or you'd rub the ash on your hand. Now, could that be the mark of the beast? I absolutely think that could be the mark of the beast. Um, another theory is um, that it was not a literal physical mark. We have already read through Revelation that the, um, the people of God were sealed on their forehead. And we read that as a spiritual seal. And now here the people are marked with a, a mark on their forehead. And for some reason we switch and we insist that it must be a literal seal. And we're going to get a chip in our hand in order to scan it at Target. Now listen, if I can do that and not lose my wallet, I will seriously consider that. I don't think that's what's going on here. Like scan my hand and pay. I'm not worried about being tracked. I'm not, I'm not doing anything illegal most of the time. So, so track me. I, like that does not worry me at all. What worries me is if I give my allegiance, my worship, my devotion, my heart to something other than Jesus. If I worship Christ alone, then I'm marked and I'm sealed by God. And if I worship the state or the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, not the band Eagles, if I worship money or fame or power, then I'm marked by those things. And I think sometimes we dismiss some of the things that could be idols in our heart because it's not as obvious to us. We're not actually putting anything on our hand or on our forehead. If we had to, it, we, we'd be a lot more... <laughs> more aware of what we're giving our worship and allegiance to. And so I think it can go, I think that, I think John's speaking in both ways. He's talking about a very real reality in their life where they would have been like, yeah, people have, you have to mark your forehead to go to the market. I think that's a very real thing, but I think his point is not a literal, I got a barcode tattoo on my forehead or Bill Gates tagged me and can track me now. I think he's talking about a, a posture of our heart um, that we have given ourselves over to something ugly and scary uh, in, in gratitude. Thank you, Rome, for how good this is. And, and one of the things that worries me in our time is that we, we can do the same thing. It's so easy to give allegiance and honor and respect. to th and, I, and there's a difference between honor and worship, but I think sometimes we blur that line. And the things that consume our thoughts and our, our worries. Um, one of the best illustrations I had... Um, when I was reading it, it was, it was talking about the way that this is being written. If we think about Nazi Germany, and if you were a, a, a Jewish person um, in, in Germany in 1940, you, you would read this and say, Satan is using the beast who is Hitler and the Nazi propaganda machine that's convincing the whole country to persecute is the second beast. And so Satan is the dragon and he's using this beast Hitler, and Hitler has this entire ministry of propaganda that is convincing people that this is the way, and Christians gave into it and worshiped and, get, and, and neglected the way of Jesus in order to maintain their position, their power, their privilege, and, and 
there's stories of a church that would sing louder as the train cars went by taking the Jewish people to concentration camps. And when the train rattled by, we just sang louder, louder to drown out the noise. Like that's a picture of maybe what John's talking about. And, it, and so these beasts can show up in the first century in the 1940s, they can show up in the 1920s. I don't think we're looking for a singular beast. I think we're looking for things that are beastly. And that can be our government, it can be our job, it can be ourselves. There anything that calls us away from faithfulness to Jesus, loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength could be a beast in our world. And I think if we reduce it to there's some guy that's going to try and make a one world government and he, and he's going to take over the UN and we're going to go to a cashless society. Maybe that will all happen, but that's not what John's predicting here. What John's predicting here is there are people who are swayed by worship to something that is not godly. And we'll see in just a minute that they meet their destruction. His point is to help people be faithful um, to drive this a little further home. He says, this calls for wisdom, 18. Let the one who understands calculate the beast's number, for it's a human number. Its number is 666. If you think like Roman numerals, they're letters that have a numeric value. What's the value of X in the Roman numerals? Anybody? 10, good. You don't even have to unmute. That was great communication. Um, each number had a value, and that happened, that was in, that did, they did that in Hebrew as well. And if, um, so there, someone, they, when they were doing ar archaeology, they uncovered somebody that had written in, in uh, Pampelonia, I love the woman whose number is 545. Like, they found ancient graffiti of this romantic who didn't want to say her name, but, and so if you add up the letters of your name, and so in Hebrew, the first nine letters are single digits, one through nine, and then you have tens, and then you have hundreds. And if you add the number, he says to calculate, it's a human's number. Well, 666, if you take the name Nero Caesar in Hebrew, guess what it adds up to? 666. Interesting, right? Now, Nero's dead at this time, so I don't think he's trying to predict that. I think he's saying that the spirit of Nero, the spirit of the empire, the spirit of Rome is the bad guy here. To make that point a little bit further, in 2005, we found an even older manuscript, the oldest piece of revelation that we have, a letter of revelation, dates back older than any other uh, scrap that we have. And it says the number of the beast is 616. So what do we do with that? Well, if you do it in Latin, the name Nero Caesar adds up to 616. And so I think that's how the early church understood it. It's the spirit of Rome. It's, the it's why today uh, politicians get really offended if you compare them to Hitler because that means something, that has weight to it. And so we're calling Nero, Nero used Christians as torches in his gardens and he burned the city down and blamed the church for it. He persecuted the church, fed them to lions. He was a bad dude. And so I think what John is writing is he's saying, don't for this Rome that right now is peaceful and maybe not persecuting you as much and asking you to come and participate in these pagan rituals, it's the same people as Nero. It's the same beast. 
don't be tricked, don't be dismayed, don't give into it, resist because it is pure evil. Does that make sense? And I think that still applies today. I think there are things that we can give ourselves to that, that are evil and that we could justify because, hey, it pays our bills or because we have power. Again, the message of Revelation is to be faithful to the way of Jesus over the way of anything else. Um, if we were in Nazi Germany, I think we would, we would struggle with, do we, what do we do here? How do we live faithfully as citizens of Nazi Germany in 1940? And then the question is, how do we live faithfully as citizens of the United States in 2020? There are some ungodly, beastly things about our country. There just are. There's some good, but there are some things that are just not faithful to the way of Jesus. And it's easy for us to either dismiss or turn a blind eye to, um, to go along with, to think it doesn't, it doesn't affect us because I don't have a barcode on my head. I'm not actually doing that because I go to church on Sunday. I'm not actually worshiping these other things. Um, so here's a question for us for discussion. What are some things in our world that might ask us to deviate from the way of Jesus? Like if this is still relevant to us, and I am convinced it is, maybe <laughs> in incredibly poignant ways, I think the message of scripture is still true. What are some beasts or some propagandas or some things that might ask us to, to turn from the way of Jesus towards something else? Politics, nationalism. Politics, nationalism. I am convinced, and if you need to log off after this, you are free to. I'm convinced that we have become worshipers of our politicians and that if the beasts represented America in some form or fashion, the second beast, the beast of propaganda would be the beast of partisanship. Uh, we are partisan to a disgusting degree. And if they vote the way we like them to vote, at least some of the time, then we, we are okay with all kinds of abhorrent behavior because, hey, they, they voted the way I wanted them to vote. And that's a and this is not a popular, it's both sides of the spectrum. There's not one or the other that is immune from this. Uh, our current president said, I could shoot somebody in the middle of the street and not lose a vote. And I think he was right because we are so partisan. And if it was the other side, I think, again, we, we, we want people who vote like we want and who think like we want, and we're willing to go along with some things that are completely ungodly for the sake of getting a seat at the table or having power or getting the tax plan that we want uh, voted in. And we justify all kinds of horrible things. And we, that, that shouldn't surprise us about non-Christians, but it should horrify us about Christians. And so we have to find this way, how do we move forward in this world? But absolutely, I think politics is a huge one. Any others? I think money is a big one, comfort, status. And we want people to like us. Uh, we like to have things a certain way. I think we make idols out of the past. We wanna go back to the way it used to be. Um, we have this 
nostalgic view of, of how things used to be and, and it infects the church and it infects the country and uh, it's not always it's not always good I think we can do it with our our local churches too where we think we're the only ones we're the only way we're the only ones that have it figured out that's that's not uh, that's not a, a Christ-like way and so when we fight and bicker between denominations like there are some things we disagree with and there's good reason why um, but let's not be beastly about it. Let's be, let's be brothers and sisters about it. To end, I'm going to read Revelation 14. We won't, we won't dig through it. Um, but it helps us to see what happens when you choose the way of the beast. Uh, one of the books I was reading, the commentaries, it said, neutrality is not possible and I think sometimes we like I do I know I do I like to find the middle way I like to be the peacemaker I want to be I want to I want everybody to be happy but the message of revelation is there is evil and there is good and we have to decide which side we're on and so here we have um, a response to those who are taking the mark of the beast then I looked and there was a lamb the one that was slain, standing on Mount Zion. With him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Again, there's the foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven that was like the sound of rushing water and loud thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. They sing a new song in front of the throne, the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. They weren't defiled with women for those, for these people who follow the lamb wherever he goes are virgins. They were purchased from among humankind as early produce from God and the lamb. No lie came from their mouths. They were blameless. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with eternal good news to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Another angel, a second one, followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She made all the nations drink the wine of her lustful passion. Then another angel, a third one, followed them and said in a loud voice, If any worship the beast in its image and receive the mark on their foreheads or their hands, they themselves will also drink the wine of God's passionate anger, poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will suffer the pain of fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their painful suffering goes up forever and always. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image and those who receive the mark of its name. This calls for the endurance of the saints who keep God's commandments and keep faith with Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, favored are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so they can rest from their labors because their deeds follow them. We'll end right there and save the rest of, of chapter 14 for next week. But here we have 144,000 who are gathered to worship and now go do battle. And, and it says that they haven't defiled themselves with women. Ladies, I'm sorry, you are excluded from the kingdom of God. No, that is not true. That's not what John's implying in, in the, the Jewish history before they went to battle, they would be chased and, and they would not lay with each other so that they were ready for battle. And so it's an idolater, adultery is used as unfaithfulness to God throughout Revelation. So he's saying these are the faithful 
ones. It includes men and women, and it's not 144,000. We already said that that's a symbolic number. It includes people from every tribe, tongue, and nations, and here they're coming to do battle against the ones who, the beasts and the dragons. Um, worship the one who made the heaven. Don't worship Rome, and and all the temptation to give into the things, whatever the thing is that we're tempted to give into, the comfort, the power, the luxury, the, the likes, the politics, whatever it is, it is not worth it. Temptation always is a shortcut. If I eat this piece of cake now, it will temporarily fulfill me. But long term, it will not be good for me, or supposedly. That's what my doctor says. I think that they're lying. But it's the same way spiritually. If I give in to this thing now, it'll be better because I want to go to the market, because I want to have a seat at the table, because I want my life to be a little bit more uh, free. I want, to, I want to have things. I want to buy a house. I want to have friends. And so, I see, and so it's easy to take this shortcut in temptation. But here, they experience the wrath of God. They suffer. There's smoke. And, and it's painful. And it goes on and on forever. And so what John is saying is it's not worth it. It is not worth temporary political power to give up the way of Jesus now. It's not worth having a nice house. It's not worth having more friends. It's not worth having a big bank account to give up the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is hard. It's challenging. It's difficult, but it is worth it. We believe it changes the world. We believe it sets us free. We believe it brings peace and wholeness and healing and the way of the beast and the dragon brings destruction and chaos and death. And so don't choose the way of the beast. I think the church needs to hear this message, the way we relate to each other and to our neighbors and to the world around us. We can choose the way of the lamb. We can choose the way of the dragon. And it's too easy for us to choose the way of the dragon and think this is the way it's supposed to be because it's how it's always been. Um, but I'm convinced that the beasts of Revelation are still at work in the world today. And they're not literal. There's not a seven-headed dragon that's going to show up. I don't think it has anything to do with vaccines or masks or barcodes. I think it has to do with anything. Any Paul says in Ephesians, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but about against principalities and powers. There are spiritual forces at work in the world. And we have to be awake and alert to see, is this thing from God? Is it good? Does it bring life? Or is it destructive? Am I making any sense? I said we were going to do discussion and I'm just preaching, so I'm going to stop now. So I have a question and I have no idea if you know the answer to this. It's something I've always wondered. Um, I was raised always thinking that Revelation was the explanation of the things that I should avoid the evil that I should be looking for, et cetera, et cetera. And hand in hand with that was, I was always raised that this is what I was, this is the ultimate expression of my faith was this, this goal at the end. And I was quite old and um, studying to be a pastor before I realized that the kingdom of God is now and that my job is to bring the kingdom of God here on earth now. So why do you think the evangelical church has spent so much time and energy trying to um, 
interpret this as something coming or, and maybe I'm even limiting it just to my, when I say evangelical church, maybe it's just my own limit of knowledge and history, but why, why is the church spent so much time, you know, looking for this literal um, revelation? Um, I think literal is easier. It's much easier to think I'm looking for us one person in history who is going to, to be this person. I'm looking for one thing that's going to be this mark because then I can know, nope, that's the bad guy. And it's a lot easier for me to be faithful. If, it, if it's less literal, if it's more gray, if it could possibly be my relationship with my work, now all of a sudden I have to do some wrestling. Um, I think that's why we like legalism. We like to, I like black and white, check the boxes, am I in or out? Because that makes me know where I stand. And I think that, I mean, it's a, this, this is a bizarre book. Like there's some really weird stuff and it does have some few, like we believe Christ is coming again and is making all things new. Um, I also think a lot of it has to do with our modern approach to things that we're all about knowledge and understanding and a plus B equals C. And so we want to put the pieces together rather than sit in some kind of mystery. Um, like we just read that the suffering goes on forever and ever. And then uh, a few verses later, those same people are on earth again. And so like, it doesn't, it doesn't always add up the way we want it to. We're uncomfortable sitting in um, some discomfort and some unanswered things. We like, we like to know and, and literalism makes it makes it easier to know so I don't know I don't know if that um, answers that question or not I did I looked the earliest person that was predicted to be the beast outside of the first century was in the 1200s so people have been predict I mean this has been a trend for a long time certain popes along the way have been thought to be the antichrist who's going to make us because we're going to get into purple sashes and crowns and like, oh, that's what the Pope's wearing. And so, I mean, this is not, we, it is, I think, particularly strong right now, but it has been a part of our history for a long time. I think we've also lost connection with the first century church in general, like educating ourselves about the historical context is not always our first priority. Like, and so, and we're also very, egocentric and so everything is about us instead of realizing that this was not written to explain our lives necessarily it was written to a totally different context I think we've just kind of lost sight of that over the years and obviously that's been part of the story like Chris just said but I mean maybe it happened before the 1200s but it took them a while before they kind of lost sight of oh well this was written to this specific time and place and I think there was a long period in the church's history where education, I mean, people couldn't even read the Bible for a long time. Like they were illiterate. So, and people just, you know, whatever they were told, that's what they believed. And like that whole contextual reading was like completely lost. I think we're still learning how to do that again. I think egocentric is a great word because we are the center of the universe. We read ourselves into every story of scripture and we're often the heroes of the story. We're the Davids. We're never the Goliaths. Um, we're, we're the faithful. We're never the ones who take the mark. Um, we have a very high opinion of ourselves. And so 
this was not written to us. It was written to someone else. And, but we believe scripture has the ability to teach and that the spirit inspired it and we can learn from it and grow from it. And it can, and I believe it's, I think the truths of scripture are universal, but they apply just as much today. And so we need to step back and understand the context it was written in and why it was written to help us unpack a little bit of it. And we need to, the, our individualism and, and it's all about me uh, needs to take a back. That's a very modern Western approach to scripture. Um, that was, that was foreign to the first readers of it. One more thing on that as we come to the communion table is that we have often made salvation individual as well. And I believe there's individual components of it, but this letter is written to the church and to the people of God. And, and our salvation is wrapped up in each other's salvation. We do not make it through battles with beasts on our own. It's the people of God together who are marked and who are singing. And the new song is a song of victory. And we do it as a community. And in our culture, we're tempted to make everything individual. And it's me by myself and my personal relationship with Jesus. I believe that's important, but that's only one part of the salvation story. We are the church, the place where the spirit of God dwells. And so we need each other. If we're going to be faithful, we have to do it in tandem together. And so we come to this meal reminding each other that this is the way. And when it's hard and when it's challenging and when it's difficult and we're tempted to give in and take shortcuts and, and choose pragmatism over faithfulness, we say, no, this is the way of Jesus. It's why we gather. It's why we worship. It's why we sing. It's why we partake in these elements together. It's why we're called the dwelling church. It's us together. We are not on our own. And so when we have moments of weakness and faithlessness, we rally around one another and we carry each other through until Christ comes again. So if you have your elements,